Well, here's what I want to do this morning. Um, I, I realized yesterday I was not going to be able to get everything done that I, I wanted to this morning. So what we're going to need to do is this. I'm going to just spend some time introducing the book of, New, of, the book of Deuteronomy to you. And then we're going to read some of Deuteronomy chapter 4 and then kind of talk about some of Deuteronomy chapter 4. And we'll do that some this week and some when we return to the book of Deuteronomy in a few weeks. We're going to be off the next couple weeks as we look at some Christmas messages then come back to Deuteronomy, I think January the 8th. So uh, let me just kind of begin by talking a little bit about Deuteronomy. Uh, Don Henley of the Eagles wrote a song entitled The Heart of the Matter. And in the song, he's talking about a relationship that, that ended. He gets a phone call and finds out that this ex-girlfriend is now in a new relationship, a phone call that he had been dreading. And he, he, throughout the song, he kind of struggles with emotions and kind of the difficulties of, 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 of all the feelings and thoughts that he has and how they all kind of run together. And it's just very confusing. He says this, I'm learning to live without you now, but I miss you sometimes. The more I know the less I understand, the things I thought I knew, I'm learning again. I've been trying to get down to the heart of the matter, trying to get down to the heart of the matter, but my will gets weak and my thoughts seem to scatter, but I think it's about forgiveness, forgiveness, even if, even if you don't love me anymore. And then he continues to talk throughout the song, thinking about all these things and the confusion, but here's the heart of the matter, heart of the matter is this heart of the matter is this, and that the heart of the matter, understanding what the, the essence of what he needs to think about this relationship helps him make sense of all the other confusing things apart, that were part of that, that relationship. And that was really just an excuse to quote an eagle song, but um, what, do you, what do you do? What does all that have to do with Deuteronomy? There are a, a lot of things that happen in the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is a a long work, these five books, and there's a lot of things that are happening. There's story, there's narrative, there's creation, there's fall, there are the patriarchs, there's stories of of deliverance out of Exodus, and then all the laws, the regulations, and the statutes given. How, How do you make sense of all that we encounter here in the book of Deuteronomy? Or all, all in the Pentateuch. Deuteronomy helps us make sense of all the other things that take place in the Pentateuch. Deuteronomy helps us understand what, what the essence of what God wants his people to understand in the Pentateuch. He helps, helps, it helps give them a foundation to understand all the other things. So, what's happening? It's the year around 1400 B.C., and the people of Israel are encamped on the plains of Moab. They're on the other side of the Jordan River, getting ready to go into the land that God has promised them. And Moses is coming to the end of his ministry. And so Moses gives a series of, of three final messages for these people that he loves, that he has been shepherding. And as we see him give these these three messages, we understand what the essence of obedience to God looks like. It's, it's like he's saying, okay, here are all the, here's all the law that I've given you. Here are all the statutes, the commandments. Here's, here's what it means to obey those things. In fact, as you come to chapter 1, verse 5, it says that Moses here is expounding on the law. He's explaining the law to the people. He's saying, okay, here's the law. Let me explain what it means. It's, it's been said that Deuteronomy is the, the heart of the Old Testament, 
Deuteronomy helps us understand the Pentateuch, and Deuteronomy helps us understand all that follows after the Pentateuch. And so, what is it that Moses says is the heart of the matter? What is the most important thing that the people need to understand and do in order to live in obedience to God and his law? Well, if Deuteronomy is the heart of the Old Testament, the heart of Deuteronomy is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. And what, what do those verses say? They say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. He says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. The essence of obedience to God, the most important commandment in the Pentateuch and throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament, the most important command to obey is to love God. The essence of obedience to God is is to love him with all our heart, our soul, our might. That's the point of the book of Deuteronomy. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is going to say, look, you guys need to love God and you haven't been able to do so in the past. You're not able to do so in the present and you are not going to be able to do so in the future. You need to love God and yet you can't. Something needs to take place within your heart to change you so that you'll be able to love God and that's what we see in the book of Deuteronomy. He's going to talk about a coming king and how this this king is going to help you do this. All these things are are what we're seeing in the book of Deuteronomy. You need to love, the essence of obedience to God is to love him, but you need a heart change in order to be able to do so. So that's the book of Deuteronomy. Now, let's, let's talk here about chapters one through four. I, I said the book of Deuteronomy can kind of be structured as, as three messages that Moses gives, and then kind of the end, some, some final thoughts of Moses' death. In chapters 1 through 4, most of chapter 4, you encounter Moses' first message. In fact, look, look at it with me if you would. You come into to chapter 1 and we see Moses kind of, kind of give a little bit of a, a summary here of, of what's taken place so far. He does that in the first three chapters, he says, okay, here's, here's our recent history. It, it begins with leaving Sinai and how we appointed leaders there in chapter 1. We, there was the rebellion with the spies in chapters 2 and 3 of Deuteronomy. He talks about their wandering in the wilderness and how they, were, they, they conquered in the Transjordan so on, the, on the east side of the Jordan River and how they divided some of that territory up and how Joshua was chosen to replace me, Moses says. And, and overall, he talks about there's this... There's this um, there's this need to be obedient to God, and you have, have failed to do so. I've given you commands from God, and you haven't obeyed them. And so now, as, as he recounts the recent past, he comes to chapter 4 that we're looking at this morning, and he says, now, so what? Here's, on the basis of that, here's what I'm telling you now. Here's what you need to know about who God is and loving him, and living in obedience to him. So here's, here's what I want us to do. Why don't you go ahead and stand with me if you're able to, and, and I'll read, I'm going to read a lot of chapter 4, and at some point I'll let you sit down, I'll keep on reading. But here's, here's what Moses says 
as he t- he's recounted their recent past, and then we come to verse 1 of chapter 4. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor, but you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them. And do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And and what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children, how on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, that they may teach their children so." And you came near and and stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sounds but saw no form. There was only a voice, and he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments. And he, he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess. You may be seated. I'm going to keep reading here. Continuing in... In verse 15, now he describes, so he's talking about how they need to live in this land and how they need to live worshiping and loving God. And, and now he's going to talk about the, the problem of idolatry and the death that idolatry brings. Verse 15, therefore watch yourselves very carefully since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any image, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance, as you are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you, and he swore that I should not cross the Jordan, that I should not enter the good land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance, for I must die in this land. I must not go over the Jordan, but you shall go over and take possession of that good land." 
Take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God which he made with you and make a, a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. When you father children and children's children have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed, and the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, And you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. For ask now of the days that are past which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by Wonders and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God, that there is none, no other besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice, that he might discipline you. On earth he let you see his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers... And chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than yourselves to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Therefore, You shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Father, please help us to rightly understand who you are as we read your precious word. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. There's a kind of a illustration I wanted to begin with that yesterday morning I was thinking about that. I, I don't know about this. Um, and then I told Whitney about it, and she goes, nah, I, don't, I don't know about this. But I think, it, I think it describes well what I'm trying to describe. I'm overselling it a little bit. But um, let, let me, it's not that bad. Um, and I'm going to pull my punches anyway. Um, let me take you back in time to a, a magical decade called the 90s. And uh, in the 90s, uh, for those of you who are, are under 35 and, and uh, can't remember them very well, the, the, in the 90s, 
um, this was a time that was, in terms of communication, it was, it was after the time of the rotary phone. The rotary phone was dead by the 90s, a time whenever communication was, was hard and very expensive. But it wasn't the, the age of the cell phone yet, right, where communication was uh, easy and, and inexpensive. We weren't there yet. Still, to call long distance, there was a, a, a charge by the minute sometimes, like, I don't know, 25 cents, 30 cents. Usually, if you called after 8 o'clock, you'd get some discounts, 12 cents, 10 cents. But it was an age in which um, it, was, it was theoretically possible to have a long-distance relationship, but not very practical. And I, I was a, a high school student, and I, was, uh, I had a, a long-distance girlfriend. And we, would, uh, we, we met at summer camp, of course, and uh, we kind of continued to exchange letters and phone calls. And, you know, it was, a, it was an age where you would make a phone and you'd set the timer. You'd say, okay, I don't have a job. I'm unemployed. I'm a kid. Um, but I've got $2. And so I'll call. And then, like, you know, then you get to the end of the time. It's like, well, I land this thing. But you don't want to say goodbye. And I don't want to say goodbye. Well, uh, and, then, and then you end up owing your parents money. And it's very... <laughs> Very unpleasant, right? But the, I think those of you who have ever experienced uh, young love, or maybe are currently in the midst of young love, I, I think you will understand me when I say I I just um, I was head over heels for this young lady, but I didn't really know her. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I had an idea of who she was, but I had never met her family. I, I didn't know really any of her friends beyond her, her church friends. I didn't know what her, her daily life was like. I mean, I had kind of a, a conception of who she was, but then I really filled in the blanks with a lot of imagination beyond that. And, and she, of course, did, did the same with me because she didn't know me that well, right? I had a conception of who she was, and, and, I, and I, I worshipped her, but... I worship some version of her that was similar to her, but not necessarily who she really was. Now, when it comes to our relationship with God, that's a problem, right? In the book of Deuteronomy, as I've said, the point is, hey, you need to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. But there's a problem for those of us who are human beings who are called to worship God with all our heart, soul, and might. The problem is, man, we are willing to worship anything but God. I'm willing to worship my career, my friends at school, prestige, sex, money. I mean, I am willing to worship almost literally anything but God. I'm willing to give my devotion to those things that aren't God. Uh, you know, I, I want respect. I, I want to worship my hobby. I want to worship academics, sports, whatever it is. I'm willing to give my devotion to that which isn't God. But not only that, and here's where things get, get particularly dangerous. I am willing and I am susceptible to taking some truths about God and combining it with my own thoughts, calling it God and worshiping that. That's the type of idolatry that you and I are 
particularly susceptible to. We, we take some, some facts about God, and then we take our own conception of who we think God should be, and we kind of mix it together, and we say, that's God, we call it God, and we worship it, and we give our devotion to it. And in the book of Deuteronomy, here's as Moses begins his first message, he's saying, okay, you need to love God with all your heart, your soul, your might, but before you can love God, you need to know who God is, and you cannot make the mistake of fashioning something that's not God, calling it God, and giving your devotion to it. And not only is that a problem for the Israelites in 1400 BC, that's a, a, a problem, a danger that exists for you and me as well. The Israelites are going to need a, a heart transformation in order to know and worship God rightly. The same is true for you and me. And even after we come into relationship with God through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, the one who is promised here in the book of Deuteronomy, we need to continue to make sure, look, is, is my heart set upon God? And am I worshiping him rightly? We're not going to make it all the way through this chapter, but here's, here's the first thought that I want us to think about as we begin looking at what Moses says here. Here's the first thought. There's life in the worship of the one true God. There's life in the worship of the one true God. As we look at these 14 verses in chapter 4 as it begins, there's a couple things that, that I want you to notice. First of all, and, and this is something that occurs throughout this, this chapter, throughout the book of Deuteronomy, notice this, God is a God who reveals himself through his word. God is a God who tells his people who he is through his self-revelation. He gives his people his word. He gives them his commandments, his statutes. He is a God who reveals himself. He says, uh, Moses begins, listen to his, the, the statutes, the rules that I'm, I'm teaching you. These are the, the, the statutes, he says at the end of verse 1, that the Lord, I'm sorry, he's talking about the, the, the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers is giving you. But he talks about how these commandments and these statutes have come from, from God himself. Verse 5, these are the things that the Lord has commanded me that you should do these things. These are things that God himself gives. God gives his people his word. And then another thing that I want you to notice here in these first 14 verse, these, uh, these first eight verses of the first uh, 14, as we talk about the picture that Moses is painting here of, of, of the life that they're to live, another thing that I want you to notice is there's, there's life in the words that God gives. Sometimes whenever we look at the law, we can think, man, the, the law was so restrictive and there were so many rules and regulations and how oppressive this feels. But notice how God himself describes his law that he gives to his people through Moses. These are, these are not words of oppression and, and misery. These are words of, of life and, and joy and peace. Imagine being someone who's receiving the law in 1400 BC. And you're a person who has grown up in this ancient Near East culture, and you're surrounded by all these other cultures that live life in a certain way. The way that you look around you and you see that people behave in a certain way, they treat one another a certain way, they treat 
uh, people who are the margins of society in certain ways. They treat women certain ways. They treat slaves certain ways. That, that's how they live. That's how they operate. And Moses, you're part of this culture, and Moses comes and he gives you the law. How, how do your son, oh, man, Moses, killing me. Man, this does not seem like a very enjoyable way to live. I mean, I'm supposed to treat slaves how? I, I'm supposed to treat my wife how? I'm supposed to treat young women how? Oh, man, this is not how anyone, this is, this is a, I can't lie. Man, lying is like my bread and butter. I, I, can't, I, I can't murder. I love murdering, you know, whatever it is. You know. It's oppressive. But what does God say? No, no, no. The type, of, the type of society that I'm calling you to be a part of is a society in which there's going to be joy. A culture in which you treat those who are the margins of society with respect and dignity is going to be a society that is a good, part, a good society to be a part of. A society in which people treat one another with, with love and not lie to one another is going to be a society that is a good society to be a part of. So God gives his law, he gives his statutes, and there's, there's life in these words. These words don't cause death or legalistic sorrow. These words are where life is it's found, and God's people are to live in this place where God puts them in light of his commandments that he gives that, that describe himself. And then notice one other thing here. As Moses kind of paints this picture, he says, here's what's going to happen He's surrounded by all these cultures who are living differently. And then he says this in verse 6, keep them and do them. And, and as you do that, it will be your wisdom and your understanding the sight of all the peoples who are surrounding you. So that word wisdom means the ability to, to navigate life. So life's complexities take place and you have God's word and you say, okay, I know that this is how I'm going to live. And so in this situation, this is what I'm going to do. You do that and the, the, the societies around you are going to look at you and say, well, there's something different about this people. It remains true today. A, a, a person who lives in obedience to to God's law and his instruction is one of the most powerful evangelistic tools that you can imagine to live consistent with how God has called them to live in contrast to those around them. But this is what Moses is doing. This is what Moses is doing. He's saying, okay, let me paint you a picture. You know, a, a mediocre leader takes the people that they're leading and says, look, this is what you have to do today. This is, what you have, this is the three projects we got. You do this, you do this, you do that, right? Not very inspiring. But what, is, what does a really good leader do? A, a good leader says, okay, he, let, let me paint you a picture of what the future looks like. Both positively and negatively. And that's Moses is going to do, hey, this is what life looks like and here's what death looks like. And, and let me encourage you to pursue this path that God is calling us to walk that leads to life. That's what Moses is doing. There's life in the worship of the one true God. Now, so that's, that's the first part of this, this sentence, but this, this idea of worshiping the, the one true God, listen to what he says about God here. So this is verses 1 through 14. Look what he, what he says at the end of verses 1 through 14. Now he's given the picture of life. Now he talks about the person of God in verses 9 through 11. Listen, listen to what he says here. He begins to describe who God is, and he's going to do this throughout the chapter. He says, um, remember that um, you need, to, you need to remember who God is and don't let 
Don't let this, this word, these, these words, these commandments depart from your, your, your heart. You need to know them, and then you need to tell your children, and then you need to tell your, your children's children, and then he talks about who God is. Now, now here's, here's what I, I think we need to notice as we think about these verses and the verses that are going to follow. First of all, what we need to realize is that God's, God's commandments cannot be separated from his person. God's word is, is intimately connected with his person. God's word points us to his person. You can't just say, okay, you know what? Um, I want to worship God. I want to be in right relationship with God. I don't care about his statues. I don't care about his commandments. In fact, you know, all those people who tell me about this is what you have to do and this is what God says. Man, all those legalists need to just let me, lo- I just want to love God. You, you can't say that. You can't say I'm going to love God in separation from what he's, he's told me I need to do and how I need to live. The, God's word is connected with his person. But at the same time, not only can I not say I'm going to love God and not wor- worry about his word, I also can't say, you know what, I'm just going to teach my kids to obey his commandments without talking about who he is. I, I can't go to my kids and say, hey kids, um, you know, in this family we don't lie, and in this family we, we don't yell at each other. I can't just say those those commandments without tying them to the person of who God is if I want my children to truly live in obedience to God because they need to love him. So instead I say, look, kids, we love God, and God is the God who doesn't lie. We're not going to lie to one another. We, we love God, and he's the God who loves us. We're going to show love to one another. Does that make sense? He says there's, there's life in the worship of the one true God. Here's the picture of life, and then he says, now here's the person of God. So he says that, God's word is connected to his person. And as you look at God and you see his works, you you worship him because of his works. And as you look at God and you see his character and attributes, you you worship him because of those. Now, here's something else that this is going to consume, I think, the rest of our our time this morning. But look at what else he says in these verses as it talks about who God is. This is is so crucial for us to understand. He says... um, he says, uh, you, you came near and you stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. And it says in verse 12, and the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but you saw no, no form. Now, that idea that they did not see a form is going to be a, a theme that he carries throughout the rest of this chapter. It's very important for them to understand God is not a physical being. They're going to, he wants them to worship the one true God, but for them to understand who the one true God is, they need to rightly understand that he is the creator God. He is not a creation it says he declared to you the covenants. And so here's this, here's this God. He's not a person, or excuse me, he's not a, a physically created being. He's a spirit. And he declared to you his word, and that's what you have, and that's what you need to be obedient to. It says his person, again, is connected to his word. It says, and, and you need to understand God is, God is spirit. And he's going to talk about idolatry that, that, that comes in, in the next section. And you say, no, okay, Daniel, what, what does that matter? Why does it matter that God is, that, why is it so important that I not think of God as a, a physical being? Very often we have some conceptions about God that are not, that are not accurate. We might think of God as kind of the, a, a big guy in heaven sitting on a throne with a big flowing beard and sandals and white gown. That's not an accurate conception of, of, of who God is. 
where we might think, well, God is, God is somehow constrained physically. Like maybe, maybe he's, he's constrained by a church building or maybe he's constrained, like he has to live within the physical confines of my, like he's a spirit, but he's a spirit that has to like dwell inside my, 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 my body somehow. Or, or sometimes people may think of God as this force that permeates the universe. And, and that's not an accurate conception of God either. You might say, well, God is a, a God. I'm not going to think of God as small. I'm going to think of him as super big. In fact, the biggest thing that I can imagine is the universe and God is big and that he fills uh, in some way every aspect of the universe. But that's not a right conception of God either. It is wrong to conceive of God as bound by any physical limitation whatsoever. When we say that God is spirit, we don't mean that he's just a spirit that permeates a lot of different things. We mean that God is not bound by the created world in any way whatsoever. He stands above and behind and below and, and through it. There's no way in which he is constrained by time, and there's no way in which he is uh, um, confined by space. There's no way in which God is confined by any dimension that you and I can conceive or perceive or think of. The psalmist when he talks about God, says, where shall I go from your presence? Where can I escape you? You're always, you're everywhere. Solomon asks, can, can God in, indeed dwell on earth? Heaven, the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this house that I've built. Isaiah 66, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. Now, what's the point of all this? Why does it matter? Because you and I need to understand that God is not constrained by the physical world in any way whatsoever. And there are two really important implications for this when it comes to worship. Number one, God is absolutely sovereign. God is not subservient to his creation or bound by his creation in any way whatsoever. He stands supreme over the entire universe, over time, over space, over every dimension we can conceive of. God is supreme, and that includes my little life as well. Not only is he not constrained by the expanses of the universe, he's not constrained by me in any way whatsoever. There's no aspect of my life, my thoughts, my being that I do not, when I Worship the one true God that I do not bring to him and say, this is yours. My desires, my loves, all those things. That if I'm going to worship the one true God, I'm not worshiping a God that's constrained by the physical world. I'm worshiping a God who's sovereign over all. I give it all to him. And brothers and sisters, what this also means, we're going to deal more with this next week. It means this. It means the physical world does not propel us in worship either. In other words, I don't look at something physical and say, okay, this is going to help me understand and worship God. What do I do? I, I look to his word to understand who he is. In fact, I think this is where we'll close this morning. As, as, you, as you come to the end of, of what Moses says here in chapter 4, there's kind of this interesting cycle, Right? He says, no, so you need to know that the Lord, he says, is Yahweh is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath, there's, there's no other. He's, he's, he's not this created idol. He's not this created creature. He's above his creation and, 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 and everything. 
There's one God, so I, I, I know that God, and how do I know that? Because God reveals himself to me. And then what do I do? I worship him. And then what do I do? I obey his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today. And then what happens? There's blessings. So, so here's this deal. God, what does God do? He reveals himself to me in his law and his rules and his statutes. And as I look at those laws, rules, statutes, commandments, I find out who he is. I find out that he is the supreme God. There's no other God like him. And what do I do? I, I worship him as I've seen him in his word. And then what happens? What happens after I worship? I obey. I obey him. I, these commandments that told me who he is, I, and I worship him, and then, and then I obey. I love him. So I obey him because I love him. And then what happens? There's blessing. And then what happens? God reveals himself. And what does he reveal about himself? His commandments, his statutes, his rules. And then what happens? I, I, I worship him. I believe who he is. And then what happens? I obey. And then what happens? There's blessing. And then what happens? He reveals himself. It's this beautiful cycle. Brothers and sisters, as we go through the book of Deuteronomy, what are we going to see? We're going to see that the essence of being obedient to God is, is to love him. And we're going to see that for us to love him rightly, we must know who he is. God is a God. There is no one like God. He is sovereign over all, and we give all to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the life we have in you through the work of your son, Jesus the promised king in Deuteronomy. We, we worship him this morning through the ability you've given us to do so, through changing our hearts, through his work on the cross. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.